This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by David Hughes. Dave, how was your week, mate? Very good, thank you, mate. Uh, yeah, <laughs> as I'm always, a good week. Enjoy- <laughs> Are you enjoying the transfer window? It's heating up a little bit now, actually, isn't it, to be fair? Uh, it's been quiet so far, which has kind of been the case for January last few years. We know it's not the best market. Uh <laughs> Especially, you know, with, with us being on Liverpool podcast, we can, you know, Liverpool don't tend to do that much business over the last year or two. But elsewhere, it does seem to be getting a little bit, a little bit tasty last day or so. Yeah, well, Liverpool are uh, without a game uh, for about three weeks, I think it is. So uh, we are reliant on transfers at the moment, and that is the the theme of this this podcast this week, uh, as has been the case for the past few weeks, actually. Um. But this week, yeah, we're going to touch on a few talking points and touch on 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 the business of certain Premier League clubs, you know, across the league transfer business. Um, but we're going to start with a player that Liverpool seem to be chasing. Um, seems to be quite a reliable link in uh, Fabio Carvalho, a youngster of Fulham. Um, any thoughts on him, Dave? You're aware of him? You've seen him play and things like that because he's obviously uh, playing the state in the Championship at the moment. Yeah, so I'd heard of him, but obviously only on the back of what's happened, uh, you know, last few months. Uh, people may remember, the, I think he got some game time last season uh, before Fulham went down. Uh, but, you know, this season has kind of been his breakout season. And yeah, look, he's... I think any player who's still a teenager, who's, you know, got some, I think he's got about 10 goal contributions now so far. Um, I don't, I can't remember the split, but I know he, there's, there's 10 goal contributions in there. He's still a teenager. You know, you can be rest assured that that's, that's a top talent who's, who's got a very high ceiling. Um, so I think from a Liverpool perspective, this is a really interesting one. And, you know, okay, he's, his his position is a little bit different, but we we we've talked a few times about like a Bellingham on here, and I think Bellingham's ceiling's higher. Obviously, Bellingham plays a little bit deeper on the pitch, where the, obviously he plays as like a number ten in Fulham's system. But you can kind of see the appeal if if uh, Liverpool will iron him up a little bit and thinking, you know, we could get this exciting young midfielder slash attacker uh, for basically nothing because, you know, his contract's due to expire at the end of the summer or you weigh up paying, you know, 80, 90 million for, for a player like Bellingham. So I just wonder whether that'll be uh, in, in their thought process at all. Yeah, I mean, w- when I first heard of, uh, of the lad Carvalho, my first thought was just automatic. I didn't even go and check it, but my first thought was automatic that he is Portuguese, uh, but okay. he's not. <laughs> he's actually a product of the um of Fulham's Academy by the looks of it. Um so despite his name, it looks like he is English slash homegrown. I think there is a bit of Portuguese in there, going to transfermarket.co.uk. But I think he would qualify as an English homegrown player. Um 
which is obviously nice in the Brexit world. Obviously, it's going to impact the transfer market moving forward. Liverpool's English slash homegrown players are, are getting on a little bit. If you think of Milner leaving at the end of the season, uh, Jordan Henderson's obviously he's going to spend another few years at the club, but I think he's now 30, 31. So I do think it makes sense to do this sort of thing. And if you look at what Carvalho is as a player, um, obviously he's only 19 years old, still a teenager. But I do think he's in that mould of a wide forward that Klopp has, has chased at Liverpool. Uh, you know, despite his age this season, he scored eight goals in the Championship. Um, and last year, as a 17-year-old in the Premier League 2, he scored 10 and assisted five. So he seems to be that that kind of pacey threat from out wide. Um, yeah, our producer there, Pat, has just put in uh, Pat has replaced Guy for those who are interested. <laughs> uh, Pat's just put in a move. He moved to England when he when he turned 11, 11 years old. So, yeah, interesting one. That's that's not Pat, by the way. That's Cavallo who did that, just to be clear. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know it's interesting you said that, Josh, because uh, obviously he, he played predominantly like number 10, 10 though, hasn't he? So are you, are you saying that you think his profile is quite suited to to be in this kind of more, if he was to come to Liverpool, I mean, more of like a, a player who can drift out and be more of that wide attacker. Yeah, well, I think if you look at what Liverpool have done since Klopp's arrived, and if you look at kind of how tactical trends seem to be going, I, I think strikers are a bit of a dying breed, personally. And yeah. I think uh, number 10s, you could almost level a sim- similar to number 10s, considering how few there is about. And Liverpool don't tend to use a number 10 since Klopp's arrived, at least in the 4 3 3. Um, so I do think if he was to come into Liverpool's system, unless he was extremely good technically, I think he'd struggle to play as that number nine slash number ten Firmino role. So I would personally see him potentially out wide, but maybe I've got to look into him a bit more. Maybe I've got to watch a bit more on. Yeah, um, no, I think it, it is funny that uh, obviously he's doing really well with them, but I see Marco Silva is still relentlessly um, sticking to that four two three one. that he played almost every week at Everton with, and he seems to be doing the same again. So, I mean, the reason I f- highlight that is obviously because that has that natural number 10 position in it, whereas, as you say, the four two three one doesn't really have that. It'd have to be that kind of converted number nine into a number 10. So that's why, uh, that's why I wanted to highlight that. Uh, the point you were making now, Liverpool could be a little bit different. He could have a little bit more of a different role. I actually forgot that Marco Silva was uh, was in charge. Actually, you know all about him, Dave. Uh, yeah, I, you actually, know what? was he good with the kids with the, when when he was at Everton? I can't remember now. You know, he, he left a couple of years ago, and in terms of the Everton managerial cycle, that's about ten managers deep. So it's it's hard to remember who was doing what. But he, uh, I had, I did have a a little bit of a soft spot for Silver because. You know, around his kind of final months is when we were doing uh, first few episodes of analysing Everton, and we were kind of looking at Everton and saying, you know, it, it looked like Silver's Silver side weren't picking up many points, but they were actually a little bit unlucky. Uh, you know, they were a lot of games in balance and just going against them a bit. Uh, ended up obviously losing his job, but uh, I think it's shown the job he's doing at Fulham that maybe there is a good manager in there and. You know, give it five or ten years, he may go on to be a, a top coach again uh, at the top side because he's still young, isn't he? So he was quite young when he was at Everton, but it's interesting they've gone to Fulham now. He's doing a really good job. Yeah, I mean, I know that Fulham represents quite a um, 
you know, a proactive possession-based brand of football. They do try, try to dominate the game, similar to how Liverpool do uh, in the Premier League. So I think he's playing a style of football that you could compare in similar ways to what Liverpool would do if he if he came to Anfield. Um, and if you just look at his profile, you know, he, he does seem to be a, a player who could be worth a fair bit fair, further down the line. You know, his contract is out of, he's out of contract this summer. Um, so he could be attainable for a reduced price this month or for free in the summer with a with a tribunal fee, maybe. Um, but one thing I wanted to mention to you, Dave, apologies if anyone can hear loads of noise, by the way, down my end, because, uh, again, we're getting worked on the house. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to talk over it, but how, how bad is it? I can, we, we can hear it, but I don't think it's impacting anything. Um, I've had a few times. I'm glad we're not cutting it out, to be honest. Just leave it. Um, yeah, it's probably impacting people, me more yeah, I, honestly, uh, the amount of times I've had it with, I always not ever listening, but I'm next door they're always doing work, and it does really throw <laughs> you off. So this is it just this is an insight, by the way, to people who listen and watch how, how hard they can be. You know, not being in the studio these days and having to do it from home. Uh, you know, this is it's a very DIY at times setup. But to answer your question, Josh, it's fine, mate. I think uh, I think just crack on. You know, yeah. Well, one one thing I wanted to mention in closing. For, for Carvalho is I personally think Liverpool should do a bit more of this um, I know it's difficult because players don't always come to the end of the contracts and stuff but I think when it comes to poaching talents that okay they haven't been around very long but there's quite clearly talent there from the lower leagues and stuff like that in particular you know um, we we spend what we earn type type thing, and um, you know we we try to get players before they've actually arrived at the peak and stuff. Liverpool don't tend to invest that much in players who are showcasing potential in the lower leagues and could go on to do to do big things. And this is an example, I suppose, of that. Uh, and I think we did it with Harvey Elias as well. Funnily enough, also from Fulham. Um, but I don't think Liverpool do it very often, and I think they could. I think they could really exploit, exploit the market there. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. But I think there's two drawbacks, isn't there? I think one one issue is uh, Liverpool are obviously like kind of uh, at the very top of the pyramid, so they normally need players to come in and be able to compete at that level straight away, which you don't always get, do you? With with younger talents, you know, they maybe need another year or two to develop. Um. Which is why, and we talked about this before, by the way. Uh, but which is why sometimes they, they're almost in a position where they could let a, a player like that go to another club, develop for two years, and then they handpick him when he's when he's you know the the, the full package, I guess. Uh, but I still think it's a valid point, and I thought that theory was a bit more relevant, say two or three years ago, where you were you, you needed these players to come in having an immediate impact. But when you've got a really strong starting 11, 12, 13, 14 players that you can rely on at the moment. You can almost be that environment where these players can bed in without having to put too much pressure on them. Um, and then, they, you know, learn the trade, learn how the team play and slowly kind of uh, progress into being a more starting 11 player. So I think it's true. I think the other drawback is obviously it's, it is quite rare, isn't it? Like it, it, to see players um, of that quality going for free. But I do think it's happening more than ever because of, well, because of player power. You know, it's 
player power, agents, uh, advising clients, you know, don't sign that contract, we'll get you a bigger move next year. And I think that's what's happened in this case, actually. I think Fulham offered him a new deal in November and he turned it down, meaning obviously he's, he's going to be able to go in the summer. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, I just think specifically, you know, back to certain players in the past, like, you know, Deli Alley, when Liverpool had the potential to get Deli Alley for about five million from MK Dons. And even a look at Leicester picking up players like James Justin, um, who can, who, who's a decent fullback and play on both sides. Liverpool have needed depth of fullback for quite a while. I know we went and got Simicass and we're okay and all that sort of stuff. But I just think sometimes. Uh, there's a market for that, and you know, even Bellingham when when Bellingham emerged at Birmingham City, Liverpool weren't even linked. You know, it was just Chelsea. I think were linked Dortmund and, and Manchester United. Um, and I just think sometimes I know Liverpool want some proper evidence behind the player before they invest in them, but I do think sometimes you can really benefit from moving early. Mm. Um, you know, another example potentially if you look on abroad is I know it's a bit different because it was agents, but if you look at Haaland, for example. Liverpool went and bought Minamino from from Red Bull Salzburg um, around the time that Haaland was emerging there. And I think I do think it's slightly bit different, but I do think sometimes Liverpool's reluctance to invest in a player who has just emerged hmm. um, sometimes can can bite you a little bit. But I think of specific clubs like I think Everton did it a while back with Calvert Lewin. I think they got Calvert Lewin from Sheffield United, was it? Mm, yeah, yeah, they, a really good place, and obviously now he's worth about seventy million or so. Yeah, I think they, they had a good spell a few years ago when they were in, you know, the circus they are now, and they, they kind of got uh, Calvert-Lewin, John Stones as well, um, for, I can't remember, they got that as a reduced fee or a really good fee, um, and it was maybe someone like Mason Holgate, who, you know, hasn't developed into the player that you, you might have expected when he first came in, but he still had a you know, steady career. I imagine if ever Evan were to sell him, You'd, you'd maybe get you know ten million, so there'd be some good profit in there. So, yeah, they 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 are a couple of decent examples that that they did fairly well in in that sense. Yeah. So away from car value, then um, we're going to look at the business of just the Premier League as a whole. He hasn't actually been that much um, in bits of business, and there still is room with bits of business. Obviously, there's. About five days left in the window as we as we record today. Mm. Some links as well. Some moves seem to be Liverpool linked as well. Uh, you know, in the past at least. But before we get onto those players, Dave Julian Alvarez, mate. Yeah. Um, already you have a a green light there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we've had a few tweets on them, haven't we? Um, the only thing I would say, and I always like to think I'm fair with this, um, is that. I do feel like when when we when we last discussed them, there was already links with European clubs. But I think uh, in this example, it was more maybe like a United, where City had been touted a little bit, but not really, you know, kind of as as solidified interest as it turned out to be. So it wasn't as if this was a complete bolt from the blue, excuse the pun, uh, in terms of City signing him, but. Still, nonetheless, you know, it's an interest in that. We, we we flag him and then a few weeks later, one of Europe's biggest teams at the moment, City, go and, go and secure a deal for them, which speaks volumes about how, how good the player is. Yeah, I mean, I must be honest, when I when I saw the link, I, I was a bit worried. I was a bit concerned because uh, I think City have, 
are obviously being very, very careful around who they invest money in in terms of a striker. Um, and obviously they've had Aguero, they've had Jeho, they've had uh, a number of of top strikers really, but Aguero in particular was was the top man. And I think Alvarez looks vaguely comparable, I think. Um, and if you put if you put almost any striker in a in a Pep Guardiola system, yeah, he, he ends up finding the net. Frequently getting lots of shots off Jesus. Look, Gabriel Jesus when he arrived in England was posting loads of shots, and I think a lot of that stemmed from the system. Um, but yeah, I think he's I think he's getting signed. I think he's potentially going on long for the rest of the season, and you know we'll see moving forward whether he hits the ground running or not. But again, it looks like it looks like a, a deal that um, very low risk for City. I think. The fee I've saw quoted, I think a little release scores of about seventeen million or something, which yeah, is absolute bonus. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, it's bonus for City. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's. Well, you've just hit the nail on the head, haven't you? It's it, it's a low risk investment. Uh, I think that was a release clause. He'll go there. He's there till July, so there'll be some further developments, and then you know they can put everything in place to bring him in in the summer, full pre season, and go from there. And then you know it wouldn't surprise you if he, he kind of become straight into being a an important player for them next year. You know, maybe that forward that they that they've that they've kind of lacked at times this year, which seems ridiculous considering where they are on the table. But, you know, you've watched them a fair few times, Josh, you know I have. And despite how great they've been for large periods, they have looked a little bit like maybe missing that profile. So, you know, it could prove to be a good piece of business for them. Yeah, it's looking interesting. Um but another player Who's been linked with the move to Spurs? Apologies for the noise. <laughs> is um, Barmy just leave it? If it gets bad, we'll let you know. Yeah, okay. Um, Lewis Diaz, obviously linked with Liverpool very recently. I think we talked about him a few weeks ago, actually, in relation to a move to Liverpool. Moves were getting tipped for about sixty million, I think seventy million or so. And he seems—it's not not confirmed anything like that yet—but he seems to be of interest to Spurs. Um. I was a bit surprised about that one. I don't know about you. I was because it, I, I just, you know, of the names that he's being linked with clubs wise, I don't remember. Um, I don't remember Spurs being linked up until recently. Um, he's probably not a, a kind of profile thought. Oh, that's definitely someone that Spurs should be going for. I'm not saying it's a bad move. Obviously, I think he looks a top player, and we talked about him on here, but. I just didn't see it coming. I guess the answer that's that's my answer to it. I didn't see it coming. But it's understandable, at least looking at him as a player, why why they'd be interested. You know, we we talk kind of fairly highly of him um, from a Liverpool's perspective. I can't remember if we concluded that maybe it'd be a deal that the that Liverpool would desperately need to do. Um, but we still said, you know, he's he looks to be a good player. In terms of his prospects of success, I don't know. Really tough, isn't it, coming from that that division? Last time we talked about him, I'm right in saying we tried to think of some success stories from direct from Portugal, and it was a bit hit and miss, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll have to see. What what what's your thoughts on that one? I just think he's um, I I think he's very much a left sided forward who cuts in and does a bit of what Mane does type stuff. But I think they've already got Son, um, who is very, very two-footed, but I think prefers the left more than the right. Um, and I think if you if you look at Diaz, I'm just not. I I was just a bit surprised that he would be a a, a Conte, Conte forward. 
yeah, I think he seems to be leaning towards a three-four-three system. So you would have Diaz playing behind Kane and to the side of Son. Um, but I don't know. I just I just didn't have him down as a Conte forward. I'm not really sure. I can't really explain too much why. But I think specifically having having Son there and stuff. And um, I don't know. He doesn't seem to be particularly keen on on Steven Bergwijn, for example. And I don't mm. think. They're that different in terms of profile, in terms of what the what they offer in a tactical sense and stuff. Obviously, they might be ability-wise and things like that. But I was a little bit surprised by that, and I think considering the the rumored figures are uh, a lot, um, I well, would be. Well, I think Porto would are trying to get sixty seventy, um, and I think Spurs, in typical Spurs fashion, are trying to pay a lot less. Um, but I don't think he's worth more than fifty million personally. No, no, and even that—that's top end, that isn't it? Not that I'm—I mean, look, I'm not saying that he can't be a you know fantastic player. I think we've already said the nice things. Uh, he's you know he's he's only twenty three as well. You know, loads of dribbling, uh, goal threat, can create goals as well. But I just think it's dead hard. Just that those type of players that for me, when you talk about players coming over from Portugal. Those type of players are the worst to try and uh, predict how they're going to do because I think you know central defenders you can get a feel for centre midfielders even but these kind of like tricky uh, uh, really skillful attackers it's just so hard to see how that ability is going to translate into the Premier League it's so hard to try and guess that so uh, that's a big gamble for me. Yeah, I know another player who's, who seems to be coming to England. This one seems a lot more along the line as of this morning. Actually, is is Bruno Grimares of Lyon uh, seems to be coming to Newcastle United, which is another relatively surprising one. I remember saying to you a few weeks ago when we were speaking about Phil Coutinho that if you'd have said to me where will Coutinho move to in the Premier League this month, I would have said Newcastle. He ended up at Villa. Um, if you'd have said to me, where's Bruno Guimaraes going to move to in the Premier League this window, I would have probably said Arsenal or Man United. Um, I'd have pushed Chelsea, who seem to have three top quality options in central midfield, but not not really four. But he's ended up at, at St James's Park by the looks of it. So, again, thoughts on that one? I think it's a really good buy for Newcastle. Uh and must be honest, you know, I'm starting to fear for the little old Everton here. With you know, you think Watford have brought in the new manager, uh, Newcastle are significantly improving the, the start eleven. So uh, you know, a lot of the Reds listening, they might they might have a good summer based on what's happening here. But he's a uh, yeah, look, he's a fantastic player. Um, I'm quite surprised Newcastle have got him actually. I I, I agree with you. I think. He could have went to one of England's kind of Champions League sides because he's, you know, he's got the whole package, hasn't he? He's really good in that, in that kind of. I think they play double pivot there, don't they? He do, yeah. Alpine, yeah, he's in there. But then I'll probably leave leave the floor open for you on this part, um, based on your recent sweep. But I know he's just a really good pass of the ball. You know, he's got he can really penetrate from deep areas into the final third. Um, which kind of gives him that X factor over players in a similar position. So I, I'm not surprised that he's ended up in the Premier League. I just thought this would have been a little bit too soon for Newcastle to land this deal, but huge upgrade on the likes of you know who they've got in there. Which um, it was it normally John Joe Shelby. Uh, I can't, can't, you know who else normally goes in there? Isaac Hayden and uh, Longstaff as well. 
I, I wonder what his conversion rate is from from distance on shots. <laughs> <laughs> I think they've also got um, Joe Linton playing in there of late as well in midfield because I yeah, think they've been the three recently. I've, he looked good though. I've, I've actually seen Joe Linton in there a few times. He's done well. But, uh, he has, yeah. Yeah. Huge upgrade, and as I said, I don't know if he'll be able to do his uh, one goal and 48 shots from distance like Shelby, <laughs> but he's uh, still a really, really good buy. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, he, he, he looks really, really good, and I, I am similar to you in terms of being a bit surprised that Newcastle have been able to land him. Um, but I did see a little note, Dave, that he. He's had his, his salary quadrupled, <laughs> yeah, which is quite insane. Um, when everyone was losing their mind, I, I did. I was going to tweet, you know, forget the fee that they're paying to sign him from the club. What was he getting in um, in, in terms of his transfer fee? Because that's going to probably be the deciding factor, which is why Newcastle have been able to land them. Yeah, but as you say, very good mover of the ball. Um, but in, in addition to that, he looks like a like a keen um, defender of the ball as well. You know, he ranked quite highly in League One for tackles, pressures. Uh, also seems to dribble a bit more than a typical centre mid because, uh, you know, he's typically Brazilian in that way. And again, in terms of his attacking product, which is not that common for a centre midfielder, he also seems to create a fair bit. You know, he ranks fairly highly in, in shot-creating actions and expected assists and assists. Um, so he looks like quite an all-rounder, I think. Uh, and Newcastle obviously need upgrades. I'm not sure he'll be enough to keep them up, um, but he, he he does look very, very good. Um, and... Imagine, imagine there's a chance that he ends up in the Championship next year. Well, that's 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 what the, the surprising elements about it because that's absolutely a realistic possibility. Um, and, and you know he's not, he only seems to have cost about thirty-five million, which again seems like really good business. Mm, yeah, yeah, I'd agree, mate. So yeah, I think they've done quite well to be fair to, and and I'd be surprised if this one doesn't come off to be a good sign. Just carrying on from what you've just mentioned there, just a little bit off track. Um, Typical fashion, really, for this podcast. But in terms of Everton, um, obviously they've, they've let Lucas Dean go. Yeah, Benitez is gone. Mm. Michael Enko's come in. Nathan Patterson, I think it is, has come in. Mm. Um, I'm am I missing anyone? That's it. No, that's it. Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> uh, it's a circus, mate. It's it's yeah. It is insane, isn't it? Yeah, it's 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 seriously a big big problem. I uh, I think Everton are in massive trouble this year. Uh, I've already said on previous shows, on other shows, you know, more Everton orientated. I've said that I think um, they could go within the next three years based on the structure in place. Because you just, for me, you just can't keep outrunning these this kind of poor structure and mistakes being repeated by the ownership. Uh, in terms of this season, I just think it'll be really tight. You know, if the new manager comes in and has a bounce, I think I think you need five wins between now and the end of the campaign to stay up. And you think if a new manager comes in as a bounce, you can get you probably get five wins over that over the remaining games and be all right. But um I mean you touched on Luca Dean there, you know. If you it, let's 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 rewind to the end of last uh. season. Everton's uh 
three most creative players, uh, James Rodriguez, Luca Dean, and Richarlison. You've, you've basically got rid of both of them. Uh, sorry, two of those three are gone out the club. James Rodriguez gone, Luca Dean gone. And what have you replaced them with? Uh, Townsend. You know, Townsend, who was released by Crystal Palace. Um, Damari Gray, who's done really well, to be fair. But that, that seems a little bit lucky, that one. You know, just what they've kind of picked a player out of this way quite well. But I think they're in trouble, mate. What's your thoughts from the outside looking in? I, I still would be really surprised if they, if they go down or anything like that. Because if you think about it, they couldn't possibly have been much worse. Uh, and even their worst still has them four points clear of the drop with a game in hand on Newcastle um, and, you know, notably better goal difference than Newcastle, better goal difference than Norwich by a large amount, like three times better goal difference than Norwich. About six goals better off than Watford. And you feel like that's that's despite Everton being at their absolute worst. Mm. So I feel like with Duncan coming in, I don't think it, it benefits him that his first game is against against Stevie. I don't I don't think I think Gerard would know all about that and he seemed to get Villa really up for that, I thought. But I think against most other teams, Everton would have had the bounce enough to get to deliver a win there, maybe. But yeah, I think I think in that game it was a bit tricky, but just in general, about the, you know the way Everton are ran top to bottom, despite having an owner who's quite clearly willing to invest, um, which is an element that some people moan about for, with FSG. You know we don't don't do spend enough or whatever. One of the main reasons I have, I just find it really really difficult to say a bad word about FSG in a sporting sense. You know when people bring up net spend and things like that, mm. is because they are so clued up when it comes to running a sporting institution. And Mishiri, despite wanting to spend billions, quite clearly hasn't got a clue. Um, and it's very easy to get an owner like that. And I, I do feel I do feel sorry for Everton fans. Yeah. I, I can't gauge, you know, why he's like that. And, and do you think it's an ego thing? Do you think there's, a, there's just wanting to be the main man? Because... Uh... You could easily pay, couldn't you, to have someone come in and, and, and be that be the football brains, put in a, an, an operation for probably a fraction of the cost and be successful? Yeah, I honestly don't know. He seems to have, for me, far too much of a relationship with, with agents and specifically, I think it's Keir, isn't it? Um, yeah. That's just not a good thing. And any any club that's that's transfer-orientated transfer specific with agents doesn't tend to do that well outside of like, for example, Wolves seem to do okay with, with George Mendes and getting Portuguese players and stuff like that. But I can't think of many where when the, the recruitment of a, of a club is so agent-driven. Um, I can't think of many examples where it's worked particularly well. And I don't know if it's an ego thing, but he just seems to be so incapable of looking in the mirror. Um would you say, yeah. in your opinion, uh, worst run club in the Premier League? Oh yeah, comfortably yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, to be honest, actually, I mean, you're probably not going to want to wear this, mate. But I think I've thought to myself a few times from a Liverpool perspective, it doesn't get much better than than this because right now, I think you've po- possibly got a toss up as two worst clubs run in the country at Everton and Man United. And arguably the best run in the country 
arguably, is is Liverpool. Um, and Liverpool have got a, a coach that we've we, we all love and stuff like that. So, in a way, these are kind of the glory days. But um, yeah, it's it's it, it is a bit miserable. Like, and it, I don't know what what it's like because Liverpool obviously had a period under Hicks and Gilles a while back. Who who would would, would difference? I mean, Machiri seems to actually want to do well. Uh, he just seems to have no way of no no, uh, no no knowledge of how to do it. Whereas Six and Gillette wanted to get paid, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, they just wanted the uh, as you said, they wanted the, the the money out of it, didn't they? So yeah, it'll be interesting to see who comes in. You know, don't even know who the manager is. And I think that the manager kind of mirrors the uh, player recruitment as well. You know, there's not really a, an idea ideology in place or a philosophy in mind. It's just who should we go for? You know, Lampard, or Pereira and stuff. So, how would you think before we move on? Because I'm conscious that there could be Reds sitting here thinking I don't give a <laughs> toss about Everton. Like, I want to talk about the pool. But how would you think Lampard would do? Um, you know, I think there's a loose Liverpool connection there. You know, they were rivals at one stage when he was Chelsea manager. Yeah, I honestly don't know. I've found it very, very hard to analyse Lampard as a coach since he's uh, since he's kind of amazed. I remember doing a thread ages ago based on his time at Derby. And I know he reached the playoffs, playoffs in his first season, but in terms of expected goals at the time, I remember it being a really weird season for them. Like the, I think they scored something like 20 goals more than expected and they conceded, though, 15 goals fewer than expected or something. And... If in those coin flips you, you you end up landing on the negative side a few times, very very easily your results tail off and you end up mid table or whatever. So at that time I found it difficult to judge Lampard. And then he comes to Chelsea, and again based on his time at Chelsea, I think he had generally the right idea. Um, but I think he, I don't know. I think the the way in which he executed his his modern proactive aggressive style of play was just a tiny bit naive at times and, and wasn't particularly, you know, watertight um, compared to like a Pep or a Tuchel or Klopp. You know, I think Chelsea were easy to play through at times and mm-hmm. obviously when, when they got loads of players in as well, I think he struggled finding a solution with that. Um, so I think he's had an all right managerial career so far, but I've got no idea how much of that is down to his actual ability as a coach yeah it's hard to see you could you wouldn't be surprised if he went on to be quite a successful manager but you also wouldn't be surprised to see him kind of not be you know be a bit be a bit rubbish um so wait and see yeah um so Adama Traore as well is another player who seems to be on the move been linked with Liverpool relentlessly for years um You've got, I've generally split down the middle fan base, I think, with Liverpool sometimes. A lot of fans think he would be great. A lot of fans don't want to go anywhere near him. Um, so he seems to be going to Spurs, and he seems to be going to Spurs to play as a wing-back, uh, which would be interesting. But have you got any thoughts on that one? Uh, should Liverpool have been interested? Seems to be about a £20 million fee, which I suppose isn't that bad. Well, seeing as you're always batting it over to me, I'll, I'll let you go first. Yeah. As a as a as a Liverpool fan, what how do you see that one? How do you see those links? Would you like to see Liverpool going for them? No. <laughs> and no, that's I've the always... end of the show, guys. Catch you next week. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've always been quite consistent with this. I've 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 never particularly viewed him as much of a Liverpool player personally. Certainly not a Liverpool forward, at least. 
Um, I don't think he has anywhere near enough end product to his game. And I think he's got obvious physical traits. I think he offers obvious tactical perks in terms of, you know, his one-on-one ability, how he tends to, like, almost attract opponents to him, which can generate space for others. He can get you up the pitch as a bit of an outlet. Um, so I think he, I think he's a good, he's a decent crosser of the ball as well. But I think, um, I, I think he, he's just, he doesn't have that product that that you need at Liverpool. And I think if he, if he was to play for Liverpool, where most opponents sit ten behind the ball at all times, and he doesn't have that space to drive into and stuff, and the crossing will be delivered more from the players behind him, you know, such as Trent and Robertson and Henderson. I'm just not. I was never really sure how people envisaged that working at Liverpool, unless Liverpool was just revert back into purely being a counter-attacking team all the time. Um, I think it would have been nice to have him in certain games, for example, when we faced Manchester City away or or gained a lead against Manchester City or something like that. But I think more often than not, I'm not really sure how he add to Liverpool's game. So I wasn't. I wasn't personally that forced. That he's that he seems to be going to Spurs. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I agree with. I, I can't actually add that much really on what you've said from a Liverpool point of view. I agree with all that. I think if he is going to go somewhere and be more effective uh, than than it was always with a potential uh, change in position, uh, I think he's he's perfect for that. A kind of back three system that has heavy use of wing backs being more attack orientated because if you think about it there's a lot of you, you, you're keeping your width uh, you're driving up and down the flank uh, swinging balls into the box and I think all that plays into his hands plays into his strength so you know we we have kind of said if he if he was to make a move to like a Liverpool in the past it would have to be like wing back and they haven't really got an opening for them but if he was to make a move somewhere you know he'd, he'd be better converted as a wing back and you know the fact that we're going to do that you'd imagine uh, means that to probably get the best version of him. So I can't see it. I think he just needs a consistency into his game. If he could somehow find that, you know, playing it as like a wing back, then I think it, it's a good buy. But I don't know. And what's the financials on it? Well, I've I've seen. I think they initially bid fifteen million, and the reason he got away with a fifteen million pound bid, I suppose, is that he he runs out of contract in eighteen months. And that was the only reason I wasn't like ruling him out of of moving to Liverpool. It was because of his contract. You know, if you can get him for a reduced price, I suppose you never know in a way. But mm-hmm. uh, I think he seems to be going for about twenty or, or a little tiny bit more. I don't actually think he'll do too bad for Conte. I think as a as a right wing back for Conte, where the you know the the expectation is to get up and down the line all day. I think he can do that. He's got the pace to do that. And I think Conte also likes his, likes his wing backs to to basically get in the box and be an additional attacker at times, and I think Traore, you know, can do that certainly a bit better than than Emerson has so far for him. So yeah. uh, I think it's one to watch. I think he'll do quite well, but I just I I never really had much of an interest in bringing them to Liverpool. Mm, yeah, yeah, that, that, it's one of them, and you, you, I think some will be interested, but the majority won't be that bothered that he's he's going to Tottenham. Just, just quickly, actually, I'm just looking at look the uh, table a minute. Obviously, Spurs didn't have the greatest start, but mm, 
So there's only two points between them and United, and they've got two games in hand. Do you think Tottenham might sneak that sneak that top four with Conte this year and the bars they're making? Yeah, I do actually. Um on underneath the surface, then the numbers have actually improved under Conte. Um and I actually was quite surprised recently that when when he lost to Chelsea, that's his first defeat in the league since he took charge. Um so I don't think I've seen many coaches out there at all, to be honest, that that, that are capable of delivering Results so quickly when they take charge, like 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 Antonio Conte can. I think he is a, a top top coach. And it's going to be interesting to see how how he develops the Spurs because if he gets them anywhere near, you know, competing for titles and stuff, I mean that's a serious job. That I already think he's a he's a world class elite coach. Mm. But if he gets anywhere near that, considering the squad overall that he's going to need and things, he's doing seriously well. And he seems to have identified Suarez as a wing back. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm also tipping them, by the way, to break top four. Yeah. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. I'm just looking at Europe as a whole now and just having a little gauge on a transfer from across Europe. Obviously, Martial's gone to severe on loan. City got around 50 million for Ferran Torres. <laughs> so, well. Yeah. Um, I actually remember us. I actually remember us uh, talking about him on the podcast when he first signed, and I remember us kind of suggesting that he's he's all right, but he won't be pulling up trees. Um, and I think we, I think we've generally got that one a little bit right. I think, but yeah. another player as well who we've mentioned a lot on the podcast who doesn't seem to have hit heights that we kind of suggested was is David Neres. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about him a fair bit a few years ago. I think we tipped him for a move a few times, and. He recently moved to Shakhtar Donetsk for just under eleven million. Apparently, I hadn't even seen that. Yeah, I was I was surprised myself. I spoke yeah. to someone about it. I, I, it mustn't have been you. It's normally the other way, isn't it? That kind yeah. of move. I mean, yeah, well, normally selling them. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously Shakhtar um, have a bit of a Brazilian contingent over there, and Neres is Brazilian, and he's still only twenty four, but. He seems to have just. Um, I don't think he's regressed or anything like that, but I don't think he's he's hit the heights that maybe he suggested a few years back. He was kind of like the the Anthony of of now, um, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But he's, um, you know, whatever. Um, something seems to have happened there, and he's he's, he's moved to the the Ukrainian top flight. I I'm, I'll be honest. I'm I'm really surprised at that move. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I completely missed it. Didn't realise. But as I said, it's normally the other way. You don't normally see them, you know, bringing players in. I've kind of, yeah, just I'm surprised. Really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there hasn't been too much other than that in in the window. If you're just looking at it, Angie making that goes to Roma, which is a bit of a mad one. Ricardo Pepe comes over from the MLS, I think, to Augsburg. Bit of a strange one. Uh, he's tipped to be a, to be a top player, actually, a decent player. So I have to. Keep an eye on him because I think he's only yeah he's only eighteen actually. Hmm. Um, but yeah, unless you went into our mate regarding transfers, transfer window stuff, we'll move on to a brief chat about the EFL Cup. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, and we uh, we can come back to transfers if we need to next week if anything interesting happens between now and deadline day. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's usually a reason why we don't speak about domestic cups on this podcast. It's because Liverpool never seem to be interested in them. Uh, and this season, 
while this podcast has been going on, Liverpool have actually reached the final, uh, and we still haven't spoke about it. <laughs> this is the first time that we're going to actually speak about the AFL Cup in any way. Um, but yeah, Liverpool seems to have reached the final, mate. So, mm-hmm. I mean, are you surprised? Do you think that there's any reasons to why that's maybe happened this season? I certainly have thoughts on specifically Liverpool maybe now benefiting from depth more so than ever before under Klopp. Specifically at centre-back, I think that helps to be able to rotate your centre-halves and not have to bring in a lad who's 17, you know. I think that's influenced it. Yeah, I mean, my views are quite mirrored to yours, to be honest. Um, I did have, I knew we'd briefly speak about this, so I had a quick look and just, I used November as a kind of um, parameter, so to speak, just to get, you know, um, because I feel like the League Cup's normally in its um, mid to latter stages then. So I'd look at Liverpool and November over the last few years and I mean, literally, Liverpool being the top two of the Premier League in each of the last four seasons in at the end of November, uh, going back to 2017. And then usually had European football as well to be kind of balancing along with that. So, as you said, I think it's just been difficult, hasn't it? You know, squad depth has been an issue. It's been tough to kind of find uh, players you could potentially feature in a League Cup game with the Premier League and Champions League also uh, in the periphery. So it's just been hard. Uh, and that's why I think they've they've not really had success in terms of progressing to the latter stages and obviously reaching the final like they have this year. A little bit different, more options this year. Um, and in ter- I mean, we're, we're talking about League Cup exclusively at the moment, but obviously Liverpool haven't you know, won the FA Cup after they won the Klopp's tenure. I can't remember if they've even been to the final. Um can you remember if Liverpool been final FA Cup final on the clock? Um, we did reach yeah. a final in the first year on the clock, but Obviously, I'm pretty sure Cup that Cup, was the the League Cup, yeah. Yeah. So no FA Cup final, but I had a quick glance at that as well, and um, Liverpool just been a little bit unlucky with the draw. You know, got Manchester United away last year, always tough. Uh, I think there was Chelsea away a year before that. And Wolves away the year before that, which again, you know, Wolves it isn't always an easy place to go. Um, so, well, they're the, sorry, they're the three games that they went out on. Um, so that that's an explaining why the FA Cup hasn't really worked out. But yeah, in short, little a few more options in the squad this year means that you have a good goal the League Cup, and you know, I think it's a trophy that it's an interesting one, isn't it? The League Cup actually, because it's not one that will ruin your season if you lose it. You know, it doesn't have that same pressure of say if you were going into a Champions League final, but it's one that's quite kind of you'd like to win. So it's, it, it, there's a little bit more enjoyment attached to it, I'd say. Yeah, I think uh, it's been interesting because we've never really seen Klopp even get into the latter stages, really, apart from his first year. But I've always thought that he will kind of play you know, a, a weaker side in the early rounds. And I don't think it's a case of he's wanted to go out. But I think it's been, if we go through, we go through. And then I think this is the first season where he's had that mentality. But we've actually got through. And then he's got to, he's got far enough into the tournament where he's thought, it's actually worthwhile now me starting to field actual starters. Like, you know, Van Dijk played against um, Arsenal recently, Fabinho played and, and, and players like that. Um, but I think in previous years, because there's such a focus on the Champions League and the Premier League, it's just been a case of 
play a weaker side in the League Cup. If they get through, great. If they don't, it's not gonna you know, we're not gonna suffer too much. Um and I think as I said, we got through this season a few times. Obviously we've got a slightly better depth than ever before, in my opinion. And he reached the stage around, you know, the quarters. I went to the quarters game, I think that was against Leicester. And he seemed to at specifically a half time, he seems to actually want to win the game. Uh, he brought on a few regular starters, took off a few of the kids and the change worked. Um and he's went for it since by the looks of it. But I do think generally over the years the you know, the EFL Cup hasn't particularly made that much sense for Liverpool, considering what Liverpool have wanted to be. When Klopp first came in, Liverpool were uh, about the fifth, sixth best team in, in the country. And in order to climb and be better, winning the EFL Cup wasn't going to do it. Because I think if you win the EFL Cup, you get paid about what what most salary is once a, once a week. You know, you get virtually nothing for it. And how much and, is that, Josh? And should it be more? Let's <laughs> <laughs> not, not go down that road. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know why Salah came to mind. I'll probably get grief for that one. Like, yeah. you get paid whatever Virgil Van Dyke ends in one week, or Jordan Henderson ends in one week. You know, take it whatever you want. But yeah, I think so. I think from an economic perspective, winning those domestic cups doesn't really do anything for your status as a club. Um, whereas Finishing in the top four in the Premier League gets you a lot of money. It gets you Champions League status to get better players in. Winning the Champions League and getting into the last stage of the Champions League does the same thing. So I think from for Liverpool perspective, wanting to grow as a club and reach the pinnacle again, I don't think it made that much sense to go for the domestic cups. Whereas now, now that you've kind of, I suppose, achieved the status that you've been chasing for a few years, now maybe you can dedicate a few more resources to the domestic cups. Because now you have those resources to dedicate to the Mr. Cups, if you know what I mean. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, it was never going to be kind of a transformational trophy win like, you know, a Champions League or Premier League is. Um, but, you know, to, to just add to your point, Liverpool probably are a position now where we know every all the best players are in the peak years. And I think it's time to now start collecting trophies, you know, as many as possible before this this group obviously disbanded the part, which you know is going to probably happen in the next few years. So uh, any trophy will, will do. <laughs> yeah, it's one to watch anyway. And uh, closer to the game, we will obviously with it being a final, we'll dedicate an actual preview to the Chelsea game. Uh, look at all the aspects around it, where the game can be won and lost, and things like that. So yeah, that's one to look forward to. But um, I think we'll round up there, mate. So uh, yeah, a bit of a scatter gun transfer episode that one I think but uh, thanks for joining us mate thank you mate cheers yeah we'll be back next week to potentially look at scouting picks again potentially do a Q&A you know we'll see where we go with that one but do tune in thanks for tuning in this week and uh, we'll see you then you've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel